0: Welcome to north village church my name is michael I'm one of the pastors here uh, we're going to be in first timothy chapter 2 if you don't have a bible you can grab one at the back or you can grab one of our devotionals this is our gift to you it's going to take us all the way through august 22 and uh, turn to page 36 and you can follow along uh help us all stay on the same page. We also have tablets, so Nathan, if you could, and Kennedy, kind of get that tablet going. Uh, If you're a a part of our church family, you can just use the drop-down menu. If you're new here this morning, welcome, Uh, and then provide as much information as you're comfortable with. We want to make it as easy as possible to learn about North Village Church. Well, this morning, we're going to launch into a new series called What About? You can look through the devotional to see uh, where we're going over the next nine weeks, and... And you're going to see that we're covering, uh, you know, some, some exciting subjects. We're going to get into politics and sex and race and women. And it's basically all the things you're not supposed to talk about. Like not, not only just like not on Sunday morning, but like anywhere, right? And uh, we're going to get into it because the reality is, is that these conversations are happening everywhere. Like all around us. It's coming up at school. It's coming up watching Disney, you're watching the news, you're with extended family, you're with friends, you're talking to a neighbor, like it's all around us, and and we could come together on Sunday morning and act like it's not happening all around us, or we could just acknowledge that, that it is. And so that's what we want to do through this series, we want to acknowledge that these conversations are happening all around us, and the reason they're happening around us is because these conversations are important. Right? These conversations are important. We need to be talking about these subjects, and God's word engages uh, these conversations. And so that's, that's why we're going through this uh, series. I'm sure there's a lot of uh, nervousness, right? I, I've already interacted with a handful of people. There's that nervous ha, 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 ha. like we, everybody, I feel that now I'm my voice will probably crack a dozen times throughout this series right and uh, so I want to encourage you you're not alone all right? if, if you're if you're sitting there at any point in this series and, and you're like everybody you know must think what this guy's talking about and it's just not the case we're all kind of at different places and different subjects and different spaces and uh, and so my desire is not really to tell us what to believe and, and what not to believe my desire is, is really just to, to, to stir us to a place where we, we're more comfortable having these types of conversations. My, my thinking is that this is not going to go away anytime soon. And the trajectory of our, of our world is that we're going to have to learn how to navigate some of these subjects more consistently. And if you looked at the devotional, if you looked ahead, you see this morning we're going to talk about women. What? What? You didn't tell me that. Like, I know it's, it's probably uncomfortable for many of us for uh, a man to talk about women. You know, I'm sure plenty of us are thinking, like, oh, great, here's another chance for me to hear from some man tell me about uh, women. And, and we, we might have that kind of pushback uh, to this morning because there is a narrative in our culture that you, you can't speak into a subject unless you have that experience. Right? Have, y'all, have y'all encountered that? Like if you, if you don't have that experience, you don't have anything to offer, right? And and there is some merit to that to that narrative, there is some good to that narrative, but that that narrative breaks down if you take it to its logical conclusion. Right? If you take it to its fullest measure, then we would all just end up in segregated cul-de-sac of pockets of not being able to learn from one another. And so by no means this morning and throughout the series, I'm not trying to present myself as the sole expert on these subjects but i i'm simply trying to just bring attention to these subjects and and specifically to the subject of of women because it's important for us to to be in the conversation around women i'm sure that we all see hear, feel the the pressure that that women are in today Right, so, I mean, to to be a young woman growing up today, the, the the pressure to to be all things is overwhelming. Right, to to climb the corporate ladder, to have a career, but also navigate a relationship, and also you know be a mother and have children, also. Be physically fit, and also it would help if you could be physically beautiful and it would help if you could also know about nutrition and be funny and like it was just like, "Oh golly it's a lot a lot of pressure on women today. I, I see the pressure of where our culture is calling women to fight, right to speak up, which is good. we want to fight and speak up and then within the local church, a female comes to scripture and she sees. You know, to, have, to be, have a gentle and quiet spirit. All right, well, how does that work? How do I speak up and fight? And, but do it gently. Like, do I apologize after I slap people? <laughs> Just like, hello, right? I see stories that we're still experiencing personally, emotionally, right? In the news of inequality uh, for women, abuse for women, neglect of women and as followers of jesus we absolutely we want to fight for women we want to speak up for women so that's why it's important that we have a sunday where we talk about women i wish i could tell you i was going to answer all your questions in life about uh, women uh, but this morning i'm only going to try to tackle three so the first one is why is this question important where do our culture's answers break down on the subject of women and what does this look like practically in our church family? So let's go after this first one. Why is this question important? The question around women is important because women are important, right? There's a #MeToo movement in 2017 telling us that women are important. There's you know conversations around equality and salaries, and most recently, uh, what role do we play in the United States for the rights of women in other countries like Afghanistan. So the subject of women is very popular in our culture today. But God's word has always been pro-women. right? God's word has always been pro-women. Genesis 1 teaches us male and female are created in the image of God. So that somehow, and I'm not sure how, I can't explain it, but somehow the image of God is both masculine and feminine so that male and female are made in the image of God. God's word is pro Women. We don't need a hashtag for that. God's word is pro women, not just in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 3 describes male and female as co heirs to the grace of life. It's not first men and then women, it's male and female are co heirs to the grace of life. That male and female are the means by which God's going to move through men and women to bring the gospel, to bring about restoration. That's in First Peter chapter three. That's in the first century. That's radical thinking. I, I know that might not sound radical to us in 2021, but that would have been a radical thinking in the first century. In fact, if you look at First Peter chapter three, you see the apostle Peter admonishing the wife to stay in her marriage with an unbelieving husband because the Lord is going to move through her to influence her husband's eternal destiny, like transformed life. Like, that's normal for our ears in 2021, but that was radical. For God's word to be, to be talking about women, it's always been pro-women. Therefore, as followers of Jesus, when a conversation comes up about women, equality for women, protection for women, opportunities for women, a voice for women, we want to speak up for women, because women are fellow image bearers. Does that make sense? That's where we find our confidence. We're in the workplace, we're in neighborhood, family. We're nervous. What are people going? We use a fellow image bearer. Absolutely speak up. In no way do we ever want to give the connotation that women are second class. Uh, less than. Right? Because when you look at Scripture... We don't just see that God is, God's word is pro-women. When you look at Scripture, we see a progression, a progression of women continually being placed in a position of honor." Well, write that phrase down in, in your notes, because this is, this is an important phrase to capture. The phrase, "The progression of women being placed in a position of honor is consistent throughout Scripture let us understand right now our culture is creating this narrative that the bible is oppressive toward women so you got to toss it out right? the message is everywhere there was a time when you only would have heard that message at the college level where a professor would have made a jab at christianity and like making fun of of women the bible blah but now that message is everywhere like you're going to get that in disney you're going to get that in education. You're going to get that in the news. Like our young our young ladies are being raised with the belief that the Bible is oppressive towards women. And that's just not true. It's not true. Yeah, you could take verses. And we'll look at a few of those verses today. And you could kind of pull some of those verses out. And we'll feel it this morning. Of like, that's weird. Like, <laughs> why does it, it say that? But when... The, scripture as a whole the progression of scripture you see women being placed in a position of honor now if you're tracking with me this morning there's probably a part of you that's pushing back on that a little bit and saying why has it got to be a progression (laughs) why do we have to have a progression of women being placed in honor why doesn't it start with like rosie the riveter right there right on page one like what's up with that well It does, if you go to Genesis one and two, in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. Male and female are made in the image of God. So in the beginning, that's the dream. That's heaven on earth, Genesis one and two. That's the plan. The problem is Genesis three. Genesis three, sin enters into the story. And at that point, from Genesis three on, Everything falls apart. Like there's a fracture from Genesis 1 and 2. That's beautiful. Genesis 3, what happened? And from that moment on, like humanity is just layered with murder, death, and bloodshed. That's hard for us to kind of step back into that. But you got to lean in with me. Remember when we went through the gospel presentation, God's design? That's Genesis 1 and 2. Brokenness? That's Genesis 3. All right, so when we look at scriptures in the Old Testament, and you see the idea of a female being attached to a male as a husband, as a father, in any context, we're going to read those verses, and we're going to cringe. We should be like, what's up with that? Because we're going to read it through the 2021 20, eyes. But in, in that day, in the context of the day, you've got to know the laws that you're reading, the verses that you're reading, would have been a means of of grace and mercy to the women of that day. Because there was no 911 for a woman to call. Does that make sense? There's no social structures. There's no police on the corner. Hello, police. I want to, you know, there's, there's none of that. Like, it's, humanity is, like, just trying to survive around murder, brutality, and bloodshed so when you see those verses that is god's grace really it's god's means it's not what god wants what does god want he wants genesis 1 and 2 and then we see that progression because it's like he's just trying to hold humanity together it's like band-aids of 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 destruction trying to hold it together right there's principles i'm going to try to refer to throughout this series and there's a principle called rhetorical context if you're not familiar with that you want to write that down I attended the University of North Texas, the prestigious university. I studied rhetoric. There you go. One other, two maybe, yeah. They taught me about rhetorical context. Rhetorical context is when you go to study an act or a composition and you try to understand the context of that day when it was written. We try to understand the biases we have and we try to step back into humanity. you got to do that with those scriptures to be able to see the progression of women being placed in a position of honor. you got to apply some rhetorical context. When, when you see you know, men are allowed to have concubines, sexual partners, we're going to read that and we're going to be like, that's weird. Why, is, why would God want that? He doesn't. He's just trying to hold it together. When you see spiritual patriarch, patriarchs, uh, like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph having uh, polygamy. we're we'll like, what's up with that? Why does God, he doesn't want that. But it would have been a means of grace to attach that female to a male, just to try to keep her alive, because it was such a brutal time in history. Does that make any sense? I want you, I want you to lean in on, uh, with me about that, because it's important to see that when you look throughout Scripture, there is a progression where women are being placed in a position of honor. It's not like it stays that way the whole time. There's definitely an improvement. Let's look at our second <clears throat> our second sub-point. Is where do our culture's answers break down? Again, there's a narrative in our culture right now that the Bible is oppressive towards women, so much so that it's possible that you might find yourself feeling pulled like it's so thick right now that you might find yourself thinking, uh, "Can can can I be for Jesus, or do I have to be for women?" But I can't be for both. Do you feel that at all? Like if if, if I I want to be for women, I'm not against women, but then it sounds like if I tell people I'm a follower of Jesus, that they might look at me funny, and so I'm just like, "Oh, women, right?" <laughs> and that that is that is a. a a strong message in our culture right now. And and the reason that message is there is because, yeah, you can go to certain verses in Scripture and you can pull them out and you can say, what's up with that, right? Just like we did a little bit in that first point. What our culture will also do is go to quotes throughout history from, from, from church leaders in the 200s, in the 400s, 1500s, probably 2021. And... Maybe even this morning, I'm, I might say something that, that's insensitive. And there are definitely examples throughout history where people have said absurd things. And then people make the assumption that, well, if they have said those absurd things, then all of Christianity must be oppressive. But that's just not true. right? Those absurd things they said, and if I were to say, like, are not okay. It's inconsistent with Scripture. That's what we're going to do this morning. I mean, we're just seeing, like, if if you make a derogatory comment about the value of women, that's inconsistent with God's word. That's not okay, right? It's, It's discounting and discrediting. Like, the very... People, the lives of the people that Jesus laid down his life for at the cross, like to, to couch women in a disparaging way, like it's not okay at all. And so we don't want to rely on what people say. I, I, we're not here today to hear what I have to say. We're here to look at what God's word has to say, right? That's the second principle I, I'd want to tie us to throughout this series this idea of cherry picking right that it isn't uncommon you're looking at TikTok or watching the news and people will cherry pick a quote three to four quotes three to four verses and then make a sweeping comment like see men are horrible women are horrible christianity's horrible look you you got to be on the alert when people say Things like that. When you're listening to me throughout this series, if I start cherry picking, you can't just pick three or four that might be true and then make a whole sweeping statement. We want to look at the whole of Scripture, right? That's why we want to see that. There's a progression. So let's look. You look at Scripture. We see Luke chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. It says, The twelve were with him, and also some women who have been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. This is Jesus involving women in his ministry, leading through women in his ministry ministry empowering women healing women like he's absolutely there's a progression there where women are held in in high honors not just luke 8 you can go to mark chapter 7 the woman was a greek born a syrian phoenician she begged jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter jesus said i ain't got time for that she begged even more and then jesus just spoke it he listened to the woman the woman persuaded jesus said, she's healed Powerful. John 19. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. His mother's sister Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. This is at the cross. This is the pivotal point throughout all of scripture. The means by which humanity will be reconciled to the glory of God. And he absolutely has women involved in that story. This next verse mark 16 this is at the resurrection trembling and bewildered the women went out and fled from the tomb they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid that's the the weight of what was going on in that day jesus conquers death god's plan says i want some women there why because he's pro women like in no way is it to be oppressive towards women all right it's just all throughout uh scripture luke chapter 7 Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. He's using the life of the female to rebuke the others, saying, Look at her. Be like her. She understands who I am. You don't understand who I am. She understands who I am. Be like her. Absolutely pro women. There are some in our culture who will say, okay, well, Jesus, yeah, Jesus, but that Paul guy, you got to watch out for Paul, right? Paul was horrible, but the apostle Paul is just an extension of Jesus, right? If Jesus is God in the flesh, there's nothing Paul's doing or saying that Jesus doesn't want Paul to do or say, right? Right? And when we look at Scripture, we see a progression of women being placed in a position of honor, even in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 16 lists off a bunch of women. Phoebe as a deacon, Priscilla and Aquila as leaders, Trophina and Trophosa who worked hard, Philippians chapter 4, Udia and Syntyche are called his fellow workers in the gospel. We just keep Lydia. I mean, there's, there's so many examples of God's word, not being oppressive towards women, but pro-women. Even in Proverbs 31. You ever read Proverbs 31? Proverbs 31 is a description of a godly woman. This is in ancient history. Proverbs 31 is writing about the quality of a woman. Describes her not as barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen making cookies. Doesn't even get close says she's an entrepreneur, says she's up early, she works hard, she employs people, that she's a woman of respect, that she's loved by her family, that she's compassionate, that she's a model citizen. Like, when you read Proverbs 31, if anything, the the standard that's being elevated in Proverbs 31, you start thinking to yourself, I could never live up to that standard, right? You feel intimidated by Proverbs 31, but you definitely don't think... God's word is teaching me to be over in the corner baking cookies and making babies. Like, that's just not, as not in scripture at all. Where do our culture's answers break down? Let's look at this third one. What does this look like practically in North Village Church? You can look at page 36 in our devotional. We're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to walk through this passage, and it's I'm going to ask you to lean in. It's a a lot to jump into, and so track with me this morning. We're going to jump into verses 8 and 9, 1 Timothy 2. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands, without wrath and dissension. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments. So first, we're, we're violating rhetorical context, right? Because we we're not studying 1 Timothy. I'm just dropping you in <laughs> to chapter 2. So that's not really a good thing you want to do. So let me just, just bite-size context. 1 Timothy is written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy. It's what's called a pastoral letter that Timothy is left uh, in, in responsible for a local church in Ephesus, and Timothy is discouraged, right? There's a lot of false teaching uh, in, in Ephesus. There's a lot of gossip. There's a lot of, a lot of slander. It's like Jerry Springer, right, when, when they come together in worship. You know, do you know Jerry Springer, Kennedy? No? Well, for you young people, you are missing out. Jerry, Jerry, right? That's the context. Timothy's discouraged, He's just like, what? Why am I here? Like, I would rather be someplace else. And so the Apostle Paul writes 1 Timothy to encourage him. He tells him, he says, persevere. Chapter 1, you can read it on your own. Persevere. Keep going, Timothy. Don't quit. He says, look to Christ. Trust in Christ. Put your hope in Christ. He he says, Timothy, like, pursue a a quiet life. I know it's chaotic around you right now, but just trust in Christ. Pursue peace and quiet. In verses 8 and 9, we see examples where we can ask ourselves, is this a principle or is this a command? When you study Scripture and you see cultural references, you want to ask yourself, is this a principle or is this a command? Right, a command like do not murder. That's a command, right? It's do not murder. What he's describing there, like lifting holy hands, is that a command? Not having braided hair. If, if your hair is braided this morning, you know, are you in defiance to the Lord? Is that a, a command? And... And the way you can kind of discern between a principle and a command is if it's specific. Do not murder is specific, but holy hands and braided hair, well, that's, that's general. Well, first of all, what does it mean to have holy hands? Like, I mean, it's a figure of speech. You know, nobody's hands are independently holy, right? There's, a, there's a, a principle the Apostle Paul is describing there that when the local church comes together, that we want to be a people who aren't backstabbing each other. That we have holy hands. That we have clear conscience uh, with one another. And that braided hair, it's about coming together and just trying to look at me. right? Look at my six-pack abs. Look at like, my new, like, we're, that's a principle. Like When we come together, it's not about bringing attention to ourselves. I know this is tedious, right? but lean in with me because it's going to get exciting. Let's look at verse, uh, verses 10 and 11. But rather by means of good works, as is proper for women, making a claim to godliness. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. What does that mean? All right. At first glance, could read those verses, and, and maybe there's an impulse in some of us right now. Just I'm done. Some of us are like, I checked out at point number one. What are you talking about? Like, I'm already done. Like, you you look at that verse, you're like, are you kidding? Like, is this guy done? Like, it's it's just hard. But you got to remember when we come to Scripture that we have our own personal biases that cause us to be triggered by those words, right? Like, we know from what we've just talked about, just briefly, that God's word is pro-women. So he's not trying to get in a jab but it's hard for us to read those words because I mean, we're 2021 and so we've been influenced by hashtags and civil rights movements and 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 women's rights and what's going on in Afghanistan and so there's a so as you as you feel that impulse this morning my invitation to you is just to go slow like even as you leave here today as you wrestle with God's word go slow and ask The Holy Spirit said, help me, lean in uh, with this, because it's not to offend us. It's not to hurt us. Second, I just want to try to draw out some of the background on these verses. The Apostle Paul, who's often villainized, if you don't know that, he's often villainized in some circles. He's calling women to good works. Sometimes we can't even see that because we're just so caught off by some of the language. But you see that in verse 10? Most of the world is valuing then and today women for physical appearances. That, that's the message. If you're pretty, you're valuable. Not in God's word. Not in God's word. The apostle Paul said, yeah, braid your hair, put on some makeup, whatever. Like, <laughs> but that's not where your value lies. And so he's admonishing women to good works we can't sweep over that it's very pro women then verse 11 um, all right we 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 tend to to struggle with with verse 11 but first we got to see there's good works in verse 10 and then verse 11 do you see that he's also admonishing women to learn you say we'll learn quietly but still we'll get to that but it's still learn Like, that would have been, in rhetorical context of the day, God's word affirming women to be educated and informed and learned would have been radical. Like, in the Roman culture of the day, a female would have been thought to be inferior intellectually. It's wrong. It's unbiblical. It's not right. But that would have been the norm. Like, that's just, like, of course. And yet, in God's word doesn't adapt to the culture of the day, but Paul says, no, we want, we want women to learn. So let's get into the quietly, right? Learn quietly. You say, learn quietly. That just, that rubs us the wrong way also. I get it, but you gotta keep in mind, in the context of the day, in the local church, there's false teaching that's rampant. There's gossip, there's slander. It's It's a circus. The admonition, to learn quietly, is also given to Timothy. If you read verses 1 to 7, the the same challenge to the female is also to the male, that when we come together in worship, we're not jumping over each other, we're not trying to outdo one another, but there's order, right, that there's a a quietness. And then the word submission. The word submission is difficult for us to hear. I get it, I, I feel that also when i read it but we got to understand our biases that when we hear the word submission in our ears today it has a negative connotation but in no way did submission have a negative connotation in scripture it's i mean first and foremost our submission is unto god to the god of scripture Our first submission is to love him and to love others. That's clear throughout Scripture. So the idea that submission is being used to be abusive towards women or or to be toxic uh, or or to, to be neglectful in any way, that's not what it means at all. So we can clearly reject that. In fact, the clearest, the best picture of biblical submission is in the Trinity. When you want to think of a good example of submission, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they're all equally valuable. They all have different roles, and they all mutually submit to one another to accomplish the glory of God. Amen, Amen, right? So I I get it. There's There's a pushback. But when you see some of these words, just ask the Holy Spirit to help you to go slow. And help you to see, maybe, maybe there's more in there. Maybe there's some lenses that we're wearing that we can, we can take off. Let's, let's go to verse 12. Verse 12 says, But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Again, you're like, Michael, come on now, man. You were just pushing the envelope here. Let's just take a half beat. I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. First, the context of verse 12 doesn't apply to all women, all men, in all contexts. That's not, that's not what he's talking about. The, the whole idea of like woman president, woman CEO, and then somebody going to these scriptures, no. Nope. That's, not, that's not what he's talking about. Because there's countless examples throughout scripture of women leading in influential roles, right? The context of verse 12 is specifically in the local church, and it's specifically at the elder role, right? That there's false teaching happening in the day, there's chaos, there's confusion, and so he's, he's, he's given a charge, like, to create order, to create peace, like, that you want, you want uh, an elder that's in a male role to function in that role so that he can he can spiritually protect and guard the flock. That's why if you turn the page over into First Timothy chapter two, you're gonna see qualifications of an elder. So that it's not describing every male, right? That verse twelve isn't applied to every male, but that it's the It's the elders of the local church. And here in our our church family, like we apply that to that, that our elder are not just men, but men that meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy chapter three. Now, if you're tracking with me this morning, your natural pushback should be like, how do we know that's not cultural? How do we know we haven't, like that's back then, Michael. Why would we still think about that? It's 2021. Don't we need to, grow beyond that? Why would we hang on to that? Look at verses 13, 14, and 15. Verse 13 says, for it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Look, I understand that that might be hard to read, but what I I want you to really focus on is that the Apostle Paul is grounding his instruction not in culture, but in creation. He's not referencing the culture of the day that was unique to Ephesus or unique to Timothy or unique to a specific group of people there, but he's pointing us back to Genesis 1 and 2, to what... to what God intended for us to have from the very beginning. And he's reminding us that in Genesis 1 and 2, that there is Adam who is called out to be a spiritual leader. And that there is Eve who's to come alongside Adam as a a powerful source of influence. And so that the two of them together are a powerful force, rightly living under God's provision and protection. And so that in 1 Timothy 2, the Apostle Paul, he's pointing them, he's pointing us back to Genesis 1 and 2. Now listen, we don't have time. I keep you here all day if we went, now let's go study Genesis 1 and 2. We will study Genesis 1 and 2 throughout this series, but I just want to ask you to imagine Genesis 1 and 2. Close your eyes if you have to, but imagine Genesis 1 and 2 where everything is perfect. Imagine Genesis 1 and 2, where there's a man who's a spiritual leader, where he takes responsibility. He's a man that's courageous, right? He's not over there eating Cheetos, watching video games, taking naps, like chauvinistic, like inconsiderate, insensitive. But he's the type of man that you admire. I mean, imagine Imagine what that does to a church family. Imagine what that does to a community. Now imagine a a wife coming alongside that man. She's not over there just baking cookies and spoken when spoken to and and, uh, making babies, but she's a powerful influence. In fact, the language in Genesis 1 and 2 of Eve is that of the Holy Spirit. If you look in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit, a word is used to describe the Holy Spirit. It's the word paraclete, that the Holy Spirit comes alongside the father and the sons. Paraclete, para, to come alongside. That same language is used of Eve in Genesis chapter 2, that she's to come alongside her husband so that together they're a powerful force, that we would see that in the home and that we would see that in the local church. So in our church family, like, every role is available and invited to women. Like, we desperately want moms, sisters, females, women, in, all over our church family leaving fingerprints. And we have women leading our, our financial team, leading us in worship, leading us in, in different capacities with groups and, and breakout sessions. Like, it's, it's wide open, the influence that, that, that uh, women can have. And we, we wanna grow and getting better at that, except the role of elder, we specifically guard to qualified men, not all men, but qualified men, because it throws us back to Genesis 1 and 2. There was a day when I might have apologized about that. Like, there was a day when I might have felt kind of sheepish about explaining that to our church family and kind of like, well, I hope, you know. You know, because, because it feels so uncomfortable. But, like, as, as I'm just engaging our, our culture today, like, we don't need to apologize for that. Like, as a church family, we are casting a vision to raise up godly men who take responsibility. Godly men that are admirable. Like, this isn't a day in 2021 where men are, like, are, are, are jokes, like, you know, they're not moving out of their mom's basement and they're 35 years old. Like, that's the connotation. Like, that's not good. Like, we, we, want, we want to elevate the idea. Like, this is what our vision is for the men in our church family. And the vision for our women to come alongside their husbands, to come alongside our church family. And not to be sheepish and just have babies and over there in the corner, but to be a powerful influence. To embody godly proverbs 31 characteristics so that we as a church would have families and would have a church family that would shine bright and that we'd be a blessing to our our city like right? that we'd actually see like children are better taken care of they're thriving better because of it that poverty is declining right that abuse and neglect is declining and it's because of what god's word is teaching us right throwing us back To Genesis 1 and 2 and empowering us through Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit to see that become a reality if if you're here this morning and you and you're sitting there and you're thinking well I I can't agree with that I go I I I I can't believe that and 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 I'm not I'm not with you and and my response to you would be that's okay I'm I'm not trying to talk you into it. I'm I'm just wanting to engage us in God's word. In fact, what I I would say this morning is the most important message for you to hear is that titles are not what makes you valuable in our world and in our church family whether it's your title of your career or whether it's the title you hold in ministry, it's not our titles that bring us closer to Jesus, right? The reason we're valuable, what's most important is that we would become sons and daughters of the Most High by grace, through faith in Jesus. So if you've never done that, do that today. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, this is the most important title Every other title is secondary. The most important title is faith in Christ. So we're going to celebrate communion today. We didn't plan it this way. We celebrate communion on the third Sunday of every month. What a great, great way for us to start this series and remind ourselves that we're, that we're a family, right? that we're in Christ, that our title in Christ is what's most important. So as our worship team comes forward, now I, I want to invite you to come forward. You take that cracker and you dip it in the juice or you take a little portable communion if that's what you're more comfortable with. And we're reminded that that Jesus' blood has been poured out, that his body has been broken at the cross. And that's what we're celebrating. And we're walking forward. We're not walking forward in our titles, but we're walking forward in Christ. So as I pray, I want you to come forward as you feel led and celebrate the lives we have in Jesus. Father in heaven, thank you so much. Thank you so much for uh, just a church family that's willing to engage these conversations today. I pray that you would help every one of us, no matter where we are on this journey, to ultimately be drawn closer to you, to bring our questions to you to bring our fears to you, our thoughts to you, and not just to you, but that we would have a church family where we can have those types of conversations as well. We thank you for your provision, Jesus. As we celebrate communion, that's what we're celebrating. We're not celebrating the decline of COVID or the, the politician in our office that we prefer or the finances in our bank account, but we're celebrating the lives we have in you, Jesus. We thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You come forward as you feel led.